Hi, everyone. I know recently we announced we were going to two episodes a week and then three episodes a week. But you know what? There are just too many episodes. So we are going to back to five episodes a week. Still a reduction from seven, but there were just too many interviews scheduled, and I didn't want to make all the authors wait for too long. So I hope you can keep up with me. Listen to one a week as you're on your way to work or on your way home or putting your kids to bed or whatever it is you're doing. Moms don't have time to read books now five times a week. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue checkmark next to that thing you love. And be confident that every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hi, I'm Zivi Owens, and you're listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. This 30-minute podcast features a new author interviewed by me every single day, 365 days a year for about 30 minutes. I am also the publisher for Zibby Books, which publishes 12 books a year in fiction and memoir. Our books are already out now. And you can check it out on zibbybooks.com. And we have a magazine called Zibby Mag, where we have lots of wonderful essays and lifestyle features. That's at zibbymag.com. We have classes at zibbyclasses.com. And I recently opened a bookstore in LA called Zibby's Bookshop at 1113 Montana Avenue at 11th Street in Santa Monica. I hope that you are able to enjoy some of our other offerings. But this here podcast is the basis of all of it and started in 2018. And no matter what I do, this is basically my favorite thing. Enjoy. Natalie Frank is the author of Gutsy, Learning to Live with Bold, Brave, and Boundless Courage. She is an author, community builder, neuroscience nerd, and mama bear for small businesses. As the host of the Independent Business Podcast, the chief evangelist at HoneyBook and author of Gutsy, she leads tens of thousands of independent business owners while fostering a spirit of community over competition around the world. Welcome, Natalie. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to discuss Gutsy, learning to live with bold, brave, and boundless courage. 
Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. My pleasure. Tell everybody the story of this book. Why write the book? Why be gutsy? What is the importance of being gutsy? (laughs) Yes. Okay. So the book was truly inspired by the work that I've done over the last decade of my life with small business owners. That was the inception of the inspiration because I, you know, like, like everyone at the beginning of 2020 thought it was going to be my year. Okay. Mm -hmm. I know that sentiment can be shared for a lot of us. And I chose a word for the year as one does. My word was home. Didn't know that that was a foreshadowing of the quarantine to come. Wow. You you may have caused that whole thing to happen. I know. And if you ask some friends of mine, they would claim it is all my fault. Yeah. What's, what's your word for next year? I know. I've stopped doing it. Okay. I, anyway, another story for another day, but I had to stop because okay. I realized perhaps my words have even more power than I realized. Yeah. You know, it just became a little bit too concerning. So anyway, I, I chose the word home. We sold our house. We moved into a suburban. I mean, truly like my husband, my 10 month old and I, but our belongings into a suburban. And at the end of 2019, early 2020, we started driving across the country to meet with our community of small business owners. And so I've been supporting these business owners for several years. We had a a community called the Rising Tide Society going city to city. And there were meetups of hundreds of business owners in each of these cities, talking with people, asking them about, you know, what would this year look like for them in their business? What were their goals? What were they going after? And you started it based on your own photography business. Yes. Yes. So I'm a small business owner by trade. And now, you know, in another season of life, I'm still just a big mama bear for small business. But yes, that was the origin of kind of why that community in particular for me. And so we're driving city to city, rinse and repeat, hosting these meetups, talking to people. I mean, I truly sat with over 2000 people over the course of three months. Um, We had to stop March 5th, 2020 for obvious reasons. But went all the way around the United States. I live near DC and we drove all the way down to Florida doing these meetups around the entire peninsula of Florida, across the United States to the coast of San Diego, and then all the way up the California coast. So truly in the trenches with this community, with what many people call like the backbone of America, the small business community. And I'm talking to them and asking them all of these questions. And and what I started to uncover is that for so many of them, it it wasn't failure that was holding them back from going after what they wanted. It wasn't that they pursued something and failed and decided they were never going to do it again. It wasn't that you know, they didn't have the resources because these are entrepreneurs. They can figure it out. They know how to figure it out with no resources. And uh, you know, they know what it's like to be underestimated. It wasn't that. I kept trying to figure out, you know, we have this room full of geniuses every, every week when we're stopping in a different city. I have this room full of brilliant humans, incredible ideas, amazing potential. Why aren't they going after these things they're talking to me about after I get off the stage? Why is nobody going after the things they want? Why aren't people being gutsy in the way I know they can be? And it wasn't failure. It was fear. Mm -hmm. It was fear and fear in particular of what other people would think of them. Mm -hmm. When I started to boil it down, it came back to that. And so it set me on a little bit of a personal quest Mm -hmm. the years that followed. Actually, while I was writing my first book, Built to Belong, to just get to the root of this. Why do we care so much about what other people think of us? Why has the advice that we've been given failed us? Mm -hmm. And and what can we learn from science that can help to inform how we navigate this sort of self-help reality around being more courageous? And so Gutsy was this merging of the experience of working with brilliant, incredible entrepreneurs that had big dreams, but so many of them weren't even taking the first step. From a background in psychology and neuroscience, I studied at UPenn and did my degree in visual studies, but I was on the science track where I studied the science of seeing, ultimately. So a little bit of nerdiness in there. And then just honestly, this 
desire to kind of give everyone a little kick in the pants after, you know, three years of going through it, recognizing that we deserve a gutsy ending, right? Like we deserve a moment of bold, brave, and boundless courage in the future after everything that we've gone through. And so it's a little combination of those factors that inspired me to uh, write the book. Amazing. That's that's wonderful. Well, the way you write is as if we're like having a conversation. It's very relatable and approachable, which is wonderful because that's the best way to, I feel like, get through to people. Can I just read the beginning of chapter three? Remember who you are. In the months after my daughter Harlow was born, I struggled. Heck, I more than struggled. I felt like a complete and utter failure as postpartum depression suffocated me from the inside out. It wasn't the first time I had battled with my mental health. However, it was the first time in a long time that it felt like the darkness was winning. Talk about that a little bit. And that time, Uh, how you got through that time in your life, not, you know, because that is gutsy to make it through that. And so many people can relate to that. And whether it's postpartum or other stages or just this sort of national depression, I feel like that we (laughs) can have together. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, before I even get into that, I, I say in the book a little earlier on, and part of what this is supporting is the assertion that each of us has a different definition of what it means to be gutsy, what it means to be brave. And I say earlier on in the book, you know, for one person, yes, it can look like these external measures of success, bungee jumping, doing some sort of extreme athletic event, getting a tattoo and being bold and brave enough to do the thing, right? Like there are perceptions in the world of what it means to be brave. But I make an argument that for some people, the bravest thing they can do is something like look in the mirror and accept who they are or get out of bed in the morning. That like that level of courage that it takes some of us to just get out of bed in the morning is something the world will never applaud. Mm -hmm. But yet I don't want us to exclude it and exclude the significant magnitude of being brave enough to do those things in moments when we are struggling Mm -hmm. because they are brave. They are Mm -hmm. gutsy. So I kind of tee it up with that. And then I share again, yes, a little bit vulnerably from my own journey. I've been pretty open throughout my life about my health. I was diagnosed with a benign brain tumor in my early 20s and have struggled with depression and anxiety, whether it's connected or not. I'll never know. I sometimes joke that it actually has nothing to do with it. It's just I'm an eldest daughter and we sort of are born that way. (laughs) But you know, um, how many younger siblings do you have? Just one, but one's enough. Let me yeah. tell you. Younger brother, younger sister, a younger sister, and then three younger cousins. So okay. it's kind of, I was the oldest grandchild, yeah. oldest child that, you know, but yeah, I, you know, I share openly over the years and I have about, about my own, you know, struggles with physical health, mental health, all of, all of that, you know, and after Harlow was born, I, even with the tools that I had spent my life, cause isn't this how it works? This the tools I've gained over the years of my life of going through these things, you know, the coping mechanisms, the awesome mental health professionals that I've worked with, all of that still found myself, I think, in a really, really dark place. And I know a lot of people can relate to that, especially in the postpartum season, especially people who've never dealt with it before. It's mm-hmm. it's a shock when it happens for a lot of us and something people don't like to talk about. What I also go on to share in that chapter and why it's named Remember Who You Are is because I, I recognized, I think in particular on a day when, like I said, it felt like the darkness was winning. It was over and over again, this just exhaustion to even pull myself from the bed and and just feeling like, well, if I can't even do that, you know, like, what's the point? This is a, a battle I'm not going to win. And I really was hitting a, a very, very low point. And my husband came up to me and I 
just it it will forever be seared into my memory. I remember him. Um, I was I just crying. I was losing it, and I remember him kind of gently taking me by the shoulders and looking me in the eyes and saying to me, Natalie, remember who you are. Mm-hmm. Remember what you've overcome. Remember how strong you are. Remember what you can do. Remember how many people need you, love you, respect you. Remember what you're capable of. Like, don't you dare forget it. And it kind of just jarred me in the moment and a little bit woke me from from the days of what I was going through, seeing that one other person truly saw me, but also wanted to ensure that even though right now I couldn't see it, and even though right now I didn't feel it, that one day I would find my way back to myself. And in the days and weeks that followed that, I remember when things would get hard or when I would start to spiral, it was as if those words would just yank me back from the twister, you know, into descending despair of saying, no, but I am strong. I am capable. I have overcome every difficult thing in my life and I'm still here. And there was this sense of just reminding all of us, when you face something that scares you, when you face something you're not sure you can overcome, that you don't lose sight of just how much you already have overcome. You don't lose sight of the accomplishments that maybe the world has never seen. The childhood moments where you chose to get back up again when you fell, figuratively or literally, when you dealt with a heartbreaking moment, a loss, a relationship that tore you apart you kept going, right? When you fell out of love with your body postpartum and you learned to love yourself again. These are things that we so quickly dismiss. We so quickly ignore. We treat as though it's not important. And yet, I think there is power, tremendous power in going back to the root, remembering who we are, and also being very intentional about the stories that we tell ourselves about that past, knowing that we are the author very much of our own story. And therefore, we have a lot of power in how we craft the words that then empower us to move forward and be gutsy in our lives. I hope you have like a speaker's agent or something <laughs> and that you're on the road, like giving this talk because I oh. was like almost crying just hearing you say all of that. And it's really motivating. And as you were finishing talking, I was like, I'm going to send this to this person. I'm going to send this clip to this person. Da-da-da. So I don't know. You got to take this show on the road. I'm sure you already are, but it's powerful stuff. You're very kind. And by the way, with the Chumba Wumba quote, by the way, I get knocked down, but I get up again. I literally was going to put that in like a book I wrote or like somewhere. And somebody was like, you, you can't just make that like the quote on the cover of your book or something. <laughs> I was like, I feel like that is like my anthem, you know, that is anyway. So I love that. Another thing that I also say to people, and you have a whole thing in here and said it much better. I always hear people saying, well, I'm just a mom or I I just have one Mm. kid or I just, you know, I I just wrote the one book or I just did the this or I just, I'm just a whatever. And I'm always like, there is no just, there is no just like, stop it. So you have a much better way that you address this in the book, which I loved. You said basically the same exact thing. So I promise I'm not copying you. I just, I, 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 I feel you. So you said in the small, can I just read this part? Is that okay? Yes, go for it. Go for it. In the small business world, many of us have been on a mission for years to eliminate this term from our vocabulary and transform the way that we talk about ourselves and the work that we do. When used alongside parts of our identity, it becomes even more damaging. And again, most of us don't even realize that we're doing it. I am just a blank. I am just a photographer. I'm just a teacher. I'm just a stay-at-home parent. 
Oof, this gets me all fired up. I wish you could see me furiously typing away at my keyboard with that angry mama bear look in my eyes. I need you to hear me when I say, and then you have a space and then this phrase in bold and then another big space. You are not just anything. The work that you do matters. Your contributions matter. We need to eradicate this adverb from being used in our vocabulary like this. Stop downgrading the work that you do by throwing just immediately before your title. Language matters. It impacts how we feel about ourselves and how others perceive our self-confidence. If you swap out the word just for any one of its synonyms, it becomes even clearer how language is harmful. Yikes. Isn't this awful? Let's cut it out, kick it to the curb, and hold one another accountable to stop saying it. Yes. Yes. Love it. I know. I'm so passionate about this. I I think it's because I was doing it Mm -hmm. and I still catch myself doing it. It's very much ingrained. I think with the perhaps intent of humility, like from the standpoint of, oh, it's it's just, you know, it's not that big of a deal, but it's passive language and it's passive language, particularly that women use. And it's sort of been uh, gently socialized into our, our very well-being of how we navigate the world of wanting to make ourselves smaller and more palatable, pleasing to others, not take up space, not be too loud, not be more than we should be. So we're just enough. We're mm-hmm. quieting ourselves. And again, I I could go on and on about perhaps the harmful nature of that. But I think one of the learnings I've had as well in my work, and not to go off on a tangent too much, is that, you know, it's one thing if somebody else tells us who they think we are. It can hurt and it can definitely cause harm. But it is nowhere near as harmful as when we select the words to tell ourselves who we are. And so the hope here is to say, you know, even if outside people are going to criticize your choice for being a teacher or a parent or, you know, a parent who works from home versus who works in an office, all parents work, by the way, all moms work. Like there's nothing harder, truly. And in the pandemic, having certain seasons where my corporate work would stop and I was full-time with my kids, immensely hard work, more than full-time work. The point being, the world will always have opinions. We have the choice of whether we make those our opinions. And there's a huge portion of the book where I actually talk about the science of opinions, the fact that you know we have to acknowledge that the opinions we are surrounded by have a far more impactful day-to-day influence on our lives than we realize from a science perspective. If you're curious about this, there are really cool studies about this where you know, you can completely change the way that somebody even perceives something by how you ask a question and then they absorb it, they think about it. And then, I mean, it is fascinating. So you have to be really intentional about one, and we talk about this in the book, being discerning in what opinions you allow to surround you. Some of it you have no control over, but your inner circle, you do. The content you consume to a degree, you do. You have this ability to be intentional with those opinions. But then again, most importantly, it comes down to Okay, once you take those inputs in, how are you talking about yourself? What language are we using? Are we allowing passive language to become part of our vocabulary and describing our identity? Are we discounting our own courage and saying, well, so-and-so did X, Y, Z. Why is it so hard for me to just get out of bed, right? Playing comparison games with something like courage. Those narratives that we tell ourselves are so important. You know, John, John Acuff calls them soundtracks. And says that oftentimes, you know, the soundtracks in our minds that repeat over and over and over again can dictate the symphony of our life, like how we move forward. And so it's an important thing to take into consideration. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I've been talking a lot and thinking a lot lately about fear mm. because people are afraid to speak up in the current environment about a lot of lots of different levels, right? There's yeah. fear yeah. in general. There's there, you know, it's just right now I feel like fear is dictating a lot. And some people get are angry at the people who are scared for not doing things that they wish they would do. And I've been trying to talk to people like the way I talk to my kids, you know, like when my kid is really scared, it never makes them feel better to give them shame about their fear, right? Like right. you're not going to change their fear by being like, oh my God, that's ridiculous that you think there's, that, that something's going to happen in the dark, you know, or saying like, just stop being scared and do it. Like that doesn't work. That is not how it works, right? I have to like sit with them, be like, I understand. And like, let's make it just a little darker tonight. Or like, you know, like, so gutsy, I feel is the flip side of fear, right? It is the, it's the antidote. And there are lots of ways to get there. But when people feel paralyzed by fear, because I feel that fear really is paralyzing, you, you kind of shut down and you're like, I can't do anything. And I'm stuck. Like, how do you like, what is the solution for grownups that is not sitting in the dark with someone? Like, how would you try to get the first step away from fear for like all those business owners in the room with you, for instance? Like, what's just the first step people can take to try to, to gradually get themselves away from a place of fear, even if the fear is justified? Yes. And look, so a couple of things quickly. One, there is nothing wrong with you for being afraid. Fear is built in to your neurobiology. We are afraid to keep us alive. Now, whether the fears are justified or not is another conversation and whether they're based in, you know, rational mm-hmm, kind mm-hmm. of, you know, I feel this way because, and I can see evidence right, right. For, for that, you know, that that's a different story, but fear very much exists. I think I, I can't remember if it's chapter one or two. I actually say, you know, if anyone has ever told you, just stop being afraid of what other people think, stop worrying about what other people think. You can't, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. there's, there's nothing broken about you. It's a feature, not a bug in the tech world is, is something we'll say at times, like it's designed that way. You're actually designed that way. So I, I actually believe number one, it's accepting that it is actually okay to be afraid yep. that fear is natural. Fear is very much part of the human experience and it is woven in for 
I believe, good reasons to keep us alive. However, and I talk about this a little bit in the book, I talk about it more actually in my first book. One of the most eye-opening realizations I had in studying the human brain is that the rate of evolutionary change in the brain can't even keep up or compare to the rate of societal change and cultural change that human beings have endured. What I mean by that is we're operating with very similar neural hardware, same brain, that ancestors 2,000 years ago had. But if you were to take an ancestor from 2,000 years ago and drop them on Main Street USA today, could you imagine what a different world they would encounter? How different our lives are today from the lives that our you know, ancestors experienced, meaning the brain, it could be argued, and I believe this, although again, hypothesis, it could be argued that although our world has evolved, the brain has not. Mm. And therefore, we are operating with ancient neural hardware that designed with great intent to keep us alive with this fear that we experience can actually go awry under modern modern circumstances. And I think I mentioned this from the standpoint of, you know, if you see a tiger chasing after you, your brain is, and your body is supposed to react in a certain way. You're supposed to be afraid. You're mm-hmm. supposed to have a rush of adrenaline. There's a reason why cortisol floods your body in that moment, right? Like this is all by design. It, it tremendously impacts your ability to run away from the predator. However, there is a big difference between an actual tiger and a man in a tiger mascot costume. Mm-hmm. These aren't the same things. Right, right. And yet, metaphorically speaking, oftentimes today, fear can feel as though the real tiger is chasing us, metaphorically, when it's Uncle Bill in a tiger mascot costume on the football field, you know, drinking a brewski. We have trouble at times discerning the difference. I experience this all the time in my own life. Even, um, you know, I'll give an example. I, and, and parents maybe can relate to this, and I love moms listening to this. When something very small, very quickly becomes kind of distorted and expanded from an anxiety lens, from a perspective of worry and concern, if on maybe a more passive, passive side. But, you know, I think about my kid not wanting to wear his coat in the winter. Can anyone relate to this? And again, the coat, like my, my child not wanting to wear his coat is the man in the mascot costume. Like, yeah, could it cause him harm? Possibly. I'm running him in and out. That's fine. But there is a part of me, a deep feared part of me at times that thinks in a spiraled way. But then what are other people going to think? Are they going to think I'm neglecting my child, that my child doesn't have a coat? And by the way, people do make comments all the time about where are the, where are the hats? Where are the gloves? Where are the coats? Why? Why? You know, it's like, but to get him in and out of the car seat and he doesn't want to wear it, is it worth the fight? And then I go on and you could very easily create a fear and a concern that then expands in a way that perhaps doesn't uh, connect to its origin. So the first thing I want to just cover here is it's natural. Second thing I want to cover is it's by design with good intent, I believe, but ultimately we've entered an era where sometimes our neural hardware is actually hindering us just a little. And these fears that were meant to protect us, were meant to keep us safe, can actually hold us back and cause us harm. And then in the book, we go into more tactical details around different ways to combat this. So for one, I talk about, you know, always starting from a foundation of values. Whenever you, it's a great exercise, by the way, to do whether it's around fear, indecision, difficulty, discerning a path forward and fear playing into that. Starting with a foundation of values, it sounds sort of fluffy. It sounds very easy. And I would argue that I bet anyone listening to this would say, of course, values matter to me. Like I'm a value-driven person. 
However, I think a lot of us would have more difficulty communicating what the top five values are that we hold dear. Or what are the top three values that we make decisions by? Because it's not going to be the same person to person. And and I recommend actually sitting down and I credit my amazing, amazing therapist with this. This was one of the activities she did with me when I was going through the discernment process during my infertility journey around, do I keep going or do I stop? Mm -hmm. And I was torn either way. Fear was crippling me either way. It was either I invest all this money, all this physical pain, this time, this wear and tear in my body to go through IVF after all these failed other paths have led me to and not even get the result I'm hoping for. And that terrified me. And then the flip side of no longer pursuing parenthood and then spending the rest of my life afraid of what if I had Mm -hmm. and feeling like either option was terrifying, right? So (laughs) I talk about it from this lens of these types of decisions that can be really hard. And so starting with the foundation of values, getting clear on those three to five values, and then running your fears through those can be immensely helpful. Another thing I talk about more loosely because I am not a mental health professional. Yes, I'm a nerd. I've studied the brain, but there is a vast difference actually working with one. If this is something that you feel is not only impacting you maybe on a goals level, but truly day to day, there is no shame in it. I will be, if you're afraid or you don't know where to start, send me a DM. I will direct you. There are incredible resources to help you find somebody to chat with about it. It's another thing you can do. Third, audit your inner circle. So a lot of the time I find, as I mentioned, opinions mattering immensely to how we perceive ourselves, how we navigate the world, our own opinions being shaped significantly by the opinions that surround us, which was something I've always found fascinating. For example, you know, if, if you enter a friend group and you hate Gilmore Girls, but everybody loves Gilmore Girls, eventually you're going to like Gilmore Girls, according to science, right? Like you'll eventually get swayed and you're going to not know it was never your idea in the first place. You're, and that goes with politics. It goes with religion. It goes with, I mean, literally the opinions that surround us impact us, even when we claim we're independent thinkers. It's just science. It's how the brain works and it's a protection mechanism. More in the book on that if you're curious. So you do have to craft that inner circle. If fear is holding you back, I would just ask you who in your inner circle are the ones that challenge you? Because again, I say this too, an inner circle isn't just yes people. An inner circle can't just be your cheerleaders, right? That's that's an echo chamber. If everyone's saying yes, they're saying the same thing that you say, that is not an inner circle. That is an echo chamber. What you need in an inner circle is a combination of different individuals. You need people, yes, that cheer you on and root for you. And they're there because you need support. You though also need people that share your values, have your best interest at heart, but maybe come to the table with a different lived experience. Mm-hmm. Maybe a different set of challenges they've overcome. Maybe they're older. Maybe they've been through more. Maybe they're younger and they just vastly view the world in a different way, but they challenge you. They either challenge you to step beyond you know, your confirmation bias, which I talk about too, of just looking for evidence of what you already believe to be true all around you rather than seeking truth, rather than challenging your assertions, right? Like you need those people in your circle too. So if fear is holding you back, I also say, sometimes you have to look around you, not just within you. You have to take into account, is this fear maybe being fed by somebody or something in your in, in your, your world, this, this opinion you're consuming? Is it social media who you're following? Is that making you more afraid? You mentioned people being afraid to speak out. I know that is something that's very real right now. And there are consequences to having an opinion. There always have been. They seem to be tremendously painful in 2023 in a world where everything has a permanent footprint and everyone has access to both share their opinion and give you their take on your opinion. Yes, it's very, very hard. But I would challenge you as well to say, are you just living in in the consumption of cancel culture and the fear of its existence? Or 
are you taking time offline to surround yourself in real human conversations where people can look one another in the eye and mirror neurons fire? Because there's a difference. When mirror neurons fire, we have something called empathy. Mm-hmm. And with empathy, right, comes true impact and true change and perhaps true true uh, ability to vocalize your opinion and be open to receiving criticism that isn't so painful, so wounding, and so permanently damaging before then expanding into other spaces. I could go on and on. Okay. I've rambled a lot. That was great. But, uh, but, I mean, literally the whole book talks about it. So feel yes. free to no, dig in. It's amazing. And, uh... <laughs> Natalie, thank you. This is amazing. You are such a font of knowledge and inspiration. Your brain is like on overdrive. It's amazing. No, it's good. You have a lot to share and your passion totally comes through and we need that. Like we need that so much. Right? We really just need that. So thank you for the book, which is fabulous. Learning to live with bold, brave, and boundless courage. This is a great book for now. Fabulous cover too, by the way, with this bold yellow. So look for this book in your local stores, everybody. And yeah, I'll be following along. I feel like, you know, we we need people to be out front helping other people join them. Yeah. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Okay. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. 